Jesus is coming back. Yes, you believe that? I hope that uh, gives you some peace to know that Christ is coming back for you. But you know, um, waiting on that day when Jesus comes is actually counter or opposed to the immediate gratification that many of us seek. But what's so bad with immediate gratification? I want what I want, and I want it now. Is this the cry that's going on in our minds? I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. And I want it now. I think uh, that wasn't me. <laughs> I think uh, that, that uh, the, though that may be counter to patience, I think that cry is running through our minds. I think many of us live that way. I want it all, and I want it now. When we don't get what we want right now, we get frustrated. We get impatient. So what causes you to be impatient? Think about that for a moment. What causes you to be impatient? Why do we get impatient? I think for many of us, it just simply comes from unmet expectations. We have expectations, and when things don't happen the way we want them to, we get impatient. We're not getting the results we want, and even if we're getting the result we want, we're not getting it when we want it. So to avoid impatience, many of us do all we can to get our way. But when you get what you want, it often gets in the way of me getting what I want. Wouldn't it be great to have patience without having to get what we want right now? And really, always getting what we want is really not what's best for us, and it's really not what is best for the rest of the world. So, question for today is, how can I be patient? Well, patience comes from surrendering myself to God's Spirit. It comes from giving Him control of my life because I can't make myself be patient. As much as I try, I can't make myself wait. Galatians 5.22 tells us that the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience among other things. So when we submit to God, His Spirit produces these characteristics in us, this fruit in us. When we allow God to renew our mind, He changes our expectations. He changes our perspective, which can foster patience. So today, we're going to look in the Bible. We're continuing in our series in James. We're going to look at James chapter 5, starting with verse 7, verses 7 through 11. And before we read James 5, verse 7, I want to point out that many translations put the word therefore at the start of verse 7, but the New Living Translation that we're using does not. So I'm going to assume that the word therefore is there. And when we see the word therefore, uh, we want to read, read the words before it to understand what the therefore is there for. So... 
in the verses preceding verse 7, James 5, 1 through 6, which we discussed last week, it basically says, you have lived for the things of this world, but they're, they're rotting. They do not satisfy. Getting whatever you want is really going to do you no good in the long run. So that's the basic of verses 1 through 6. So the implication of the word therefore in this case is that since you are struggling with putting the things you want as a higher priority than the things God wants for you, then here's what you can do. And then it moves into verse 7 of James 5. And verses 7 through 11 basically address three areas of life where we have a hard time having patience. Our schedule, other people, and our circumstances. So I believe as, as we uh, give control to God, I believe our patience will increase. And as we allow Jesus to change our perspective, we'll see some fruit of patience. So patience increases as we, number one, anticipate Christ's return, as we anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. So what are you looking forward to today? That expectation of what you're looking forward to will influence your schedule. Will it influence what you do today? And so James says in verse 7, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Now, just for a second, look back at verse 1 of James 5. He says, look here, you rich people. It sounds a little different than dear brothers and sisters. So it's like in verses 1 through 6, he's given this, this stern warning. He's saying, don't trust in your wealth. It's not going to give you real life. And now he's saying, Brothers and sisters, it's like he's saying, you know I love you. I've, I've got some advice for you. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Don't, don't rely on your wealth. Don't try to get everything for yourself. Be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. He's trying to change their perspective on what they're looking forward to. He's saying, you've been focused on yourself, living for your own pleasure. Now let's focus on the return of Jesus. Now, some would say that this verse, where he says, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return, some would say that he's just saying, wait on Jesus to come back. He's coming, just wait a little longer, be patient. But I think it also means that looking forward to the return of Christ can help us to be patient, can give a, a different perspective on our daily schedule. So I want to ask you, which of these two perspectives sounds more like you? Is my schedule more about getting pleasure for myself? Or is my schedule more about preparing for the Lord's return? Is my schedule more about feeding my own desires? Is my schedule about getting to the weekend? just getting more pleasure for myself? Or is my schedule more about preparing for the return of Jesus? Can you feel the difference in those two perspectives? Preparing for Christ's return brings a new perspective to my schedule, my priorities, 
We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know that schedule. But when we anticipate, when we look forward to the return of Jesus, we tend to focus on what is really important. We get as close as we can to the one that controls the schedule. We obey his instructions, and we trust him for the results. So let's, let's look at the rest of verse 7. He says, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. So he looks to the farmer to give us a hint as to how we prepare for the Lord's return, how we live out that perspective of preparing for the return of Christ. So how do I prepare for the Lord's return? It says at the end of this uh, verse 8, it says his coming is near. His coming is near. So if his coming is near, if he's coming in the next few moments, it might imply that I can just stop working, go sit on a mountain, wait for him to come. But it also says, be patient, which implies that it may not be today. Could be today, but it might not. So what do I do while I wait on his return? Well, the example of the farmer helps me a little bit with that. First thing I can do is to realize that I'm not in charge of the schedule. I'm not in charge of the schedule. Like the farmer has to wait for the rain, and he is not in charge of the rain schedule. He has no control over that. He realizes he's not in charge. He's got to wait. Jesus is coming back. We believe he's coming back to take all those who follow him to be with him in heaven. And God sets that timetable. I have no control over that schedule. It's a reminder. When I remember that Jesus is coming back, it's a reminder that somebody else is in charge. And since I'm not in charge of the schedule, I must trust him to guide my schedule, and I must be flexible to adjust to his direction. So first, realize I'm not in charge, and then second, follow the instructions of the one who is in charge of the schedule. Ask for his guidance. Follow his instructions. Trust him for the results. Submit to his control. Now, it doesn't mean that I just sit and do nothing while I'm waiting. So what do I do? Well, let's think about what a farmer does. The farmer does what he can, but he's preparing for the Lord to do his work. The farmer realizes it doesn't all rely on him. He's got to rely on God to do his work. So his preparation is getting ready for God to do something. So what does he do? He, he uh, removes the debris from the fields. Then he tills the soil. He makes a, a space to plant the crops. Then he plants the crops. But then after he does that, he's got to wait. He's got to wait on the rain. He's got to wait on God to do his work. The farmer has a role to play, but there are no results until God does his work. So patience comes as I realize that I'm not in charge and as I follow the instructions of the one who is in charge and trust him for the results. Most of the time when I go on a trip, when I take my family, I am the one in charge, or at least I think I am. But there is a trip that I go on almost annually, at least every couple of years. 
I go with the Moorhead family, my in-laws, to the beach. And since Fenton uh, is the patriarch of the family, he's in charge of the trip. And since my wife is his daughter, I let her coordinate with him, and I just take my cues from her and from Fenton. I just kind of sit back, go along for the ride. It's wonderful. I love it. When we get up in the morning, I, I don't know when we're going to the beach. I know we're all going to go as a family. We're all going down to the beach, set up our tent, get our ice chest out there. But I don't know when it's going to happen. And I've had times where, see, I, it takes a long time for me to put on sunscreen. I am Mr. Sunscreen. And so there have been times where they were waiting on me to go to the beach because I'm still putting on my sunscreen. So now I know I'm going to get up early. I know the announcement is coming. We're going to the beach, but I don't know when. So I get up early. I eat my breakfast. I get my bathing suit on. I put on my sunscreen. And then I wait for my wife to say, we're all going to the beach now. I don't control when we're going to the beach, but I am not only eagerly looking forward to it, I'm making preparations so that when the announcement is made, I'm ready to go. Similar to preparing for Jesus' return, there's work for us to do. But there's a, a lot of the schedule I don't control. Jesus controls that. So what do I do to prepare for Jesus' return? How am I like the farmer? What can I do similar to what the farmer does? Well, we said the farmer removes the debris from the fields. So for me, removing the debris means I remove the stuff in my life that is keeping me from hearing from God, that is keeping God's word from being planted in me. So what is there in your life that you need to remove that's keeping you from submitting to what God wants to do in your life? Get that debris out of you. And then second, the farmer tills the soil. How do I till the soil as I wait for God? That means make some room to receive God's word. Give yourself some time each day to listen to God. Coming to church is one way to make some room to hear from God. But you can do that daily. Schedule an appointment with God. Carve out some time where you just are going to read his word and listen to him in prayer. Where you prepare to hear what he's got to say to you. And then plant the crops. Put your roots into Jesus. Communicate with God through the Bible and prayer. Here's what he's got to say to you. Connect with some other Christians. Care for others by serving them and sharing Jesus with them. Pursue a relationship with Jesus. That is what we can do as we prepare for the Lord's return. And then trust Jesus for the results. I often talk to people who say, I'm just not seeing change in me. I'm trying to do the right things, get in the Word, listen to God, serve others, but I'm not seeing the change. You've got to trust Jesus for the results. He's the one who's going to do the work. Watch him make you into somebody who lives like Jesus, who loves God and loves people, and watch God work in your life as you continue that, to build that relationship with him. 1 Peter 4 verse 7 says, the end of the world is coming soon. The end of the world is coming soon. Jesus is coming back. And what should that lead us to do? Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Jesus is coming. We don't know when, so let's get close to him. When I believe that I am in charge of my schedule, the world's schedule, 
everybody should acquiesce to my schedule. That brings tension. It brings stress. Trying to control every circumstance. It doesn't foster patience. It sucks the life out of us. But life becomes abundant and full when I realize I'm not in charge of the schedule. Real life comes when I prepare for Jesus to do his work and trust him for the results, which includes a full life, a forever life. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, John 10, 10. So when you get into a frustrating situation or your schedule is not going as you had planned, remind yourself, Jesus is coming back. It'll change your perspective and remind you that you're not in control of the future. The results are not up to us. Trusting Jesus with your schedule can bring patience. Second, patience also increases as we trust God to change others. Trust God to change others. No surprise here. Other people are often the cause of our impatience. So let it come in your mind now. Who is it that causes you to show impatience? Don't look at them. Who is it that causes you to show impatience? You're impatient with them because they're not behaving according to your expectations. So another way to ask it is, who is it that you want to change or you want to control? Let's look back at James 5, verse 9. Verse 9, he says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. Again, James calls them brothers and sisters. Again, he's saying, family, you know I love you. Here's some advice for you. Don't grumble about each other. Don't put each other down behind each other's backs. Don't expect that you can control others to be like you want them to be. Let God do that. Be patient with each other. Because we're family. We're brothers and sisters. Jesus wants his followers to be united. It's a high priority to God that we be one, that we be unified. When Jesus was praying to the Father in John 17, verse 23, Jesus said, I am in them, talking about not only his 12 disciples, but also us talking about his followers. He said, I am in them, God, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity. May we experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. He wants us to be so unified that the world will know that Jesus is from God and that he loves us. Our love for one another will help people realize that God loves us and God loves them by our unity. And so patience is fostered when we have a change of perspective. First, it's a key priority to Jesus that we be one. So let's ask ourselves, is my perspective that people are here to please me? Or is my perspective that I'm here to serve others? 
Am I trying to control people? Or do I seek to serve people? Which perspective am I living in? People aren't going to please you. It's not going to happen. So what are you expecting? The world does not owe you. So, whatever we want from others is what we should give to others. That's the basic words of Jesus. Matthew 7, uh, verse 12, uh, he gives what we call the golden rule. Matthew 7, verse 12. He says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. So this is the essence of the Bible, similar to love God, love people. He says, do to others what you want them to do to you. Here's what I want from you. I want mercy from you. So, I should show you mercy. You're, you're my brothers and sisters. You are family. I want you to be understanding of my faults. So, I should be understanding of yours. Earlier in Matthew 7, Jesus said, verses 1 and 2 of Matthew 7, he said, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So Jesus says, don't judge others or you will be judged in the same way. This changes our perspective from I want to control your behavior so you'll act like I want you to to a perspective of God is the judge. So I just want to help you get to know him. And let him change you the way he wants to. Back in uh, James 5, verse 9, James says that the judge is standing at the door. He says, look, the judge is standing at the door. It's like he's saying, he's watching. He knows what's going on. It's also a reminder that He's coming back soon. He's at the door. He's about to come in. He sees what we're doing. He sees us grumbling about each other. And when we're grumbling about one of his children, he's right there. He doesn't like it. We all should have to preach these messages. I was grumbling about somebody this week. I had to go back to the people I was grumbling to. I said, I, I'm sorry. God wants us to be one. The judge is standing at the door. He's watching us. He wants us to be lifting each other up, loving one another. He's at the door. When I was in middle school, I had this uh, one class where the teacher often left us unattended. Now, was that crazy? The teacher left a, a, a class of middle schoolers unattended. Whenever that would happen, there was this girl in our class named Teresa, who, who would take advantage of that time to do her own personal singing audition for the class. It, looking back, I just don't understand it. It was bizarre. The teacher walks out the door, and here comes Teresa sauntering to the front, singing, everybody was kung fu fighting. She just belting it out to the top of her voice. 
as if the teacher was never coming back. Until one day, she's up there singing, and we could see, we could see the teacher looking through the door, and she's up there singing, top of her lungs. Teacher turns the doorknob and opens the door, and you never seen somebody move so fast. Teacher uh, Teresa was in her chair, totally embarrassed, quiet as a mouse. She knew she'd been caught. Live like the judge is at the door. We, we act different when we think the teacher's watching us, that God is with us, that he's here. Live like the judge is at the door, like he can see you, like he's coming back before you expect him. It's not like God can't see us. It's not like he can't read our mind. He can. He's coming back at any moment. I can't change others. I can't, I can't change you. You are not under my control. Your friends, your family, they are not under your control. You are not the boss. But we can ask Jesus to give us his perspective toward one another, to treat each other as Jesus would. We can also influence each other to pursue Jesus, to get in touch with him, to build relationship with him, and then allow him to change one another. Allow him to change us. Allow him to change our friends. Allow him to change those around us who may be acting in ways contrary to the way we would want or contrary to the way Christ would want. Let's help them get to know him. Trust in Jesus for the results in others can help us to have patience. Patience also increases as we, number three, communicate with God when suffering. Communicate with God when suffering. Our situation or our circumstances are often a cause of impatience. When your circumstances are not happening the way you want them to, you may feel like you're suffering. Things aren't going the way I want them to. I'm suffering. Shouldn't happen that way. So which perspective do you have? Do you think my circumstances should make me happy? Or do you think God is the source of my peace and joy? Not my circumstances. Are you focusing on the problems of your life? Or are you focusing on the provider? Let, let those perspectives roll around in your mind. I want my circumstances to make me happy, or I trust God to make me happy. That perspective, those different perspectives bring a different mindset. Let's look at back at James 5, verse 10. Verse 10 and 11, James 5. He says, for examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, he says it again. Every time he says, dear brothers and sisters, you know I love you. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end. For the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. 
James knows that when we are suffering, when our circumstances aren't going the way we want, when we're hurting, when we're in pain, it's even more difficult to be patient. Now, some of us may think, I I deserve to be happy. I deserve to have my circumstances go the way I want them to. God doesn't want me to suffer. But where does it say that in the Bible? If you find it, please show me. Jesus actually predicts that those who follow him will have trouble. John 16, Jesus said, I have told you all this, all these things I've told you, so that you may have peace in me. Peace in me, which leads to patience. He says, here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows. While you're on this earth, you will have trials and sorrows. Please expect it. Have that perspective. Suffering is going to come. And then he says, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Take heart because I've overcome the world. Peter, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his closest followers, said we should expect suffering if we're followers of Christ. 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. Don't be surprised. You're suffering. Don't be surprised. Expect it. Don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad. Be glad that you are suffering. Why? For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. It links you up with Christ. It identifies you with Christ. So that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. So we can expect to suffer When we follow Jesus, expect it. It's coming. Our circumstances are not going to go like we want them to. But we can also expect joy from the power and glory we will experience when Christ comes back. We can also expect to receive joy from the power that Jesus shows in our circumstances today. We don't have to wait until he comes back. He's here now. His kingdom is here now. We can experience joy in our suffering today, right now. James gives some examples of people who were patient in suffering. First, he talked about the prophets. The prophets of the Old Testament like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, other other prophets... Uh, these were examples of suffering. These were guys who were, who were following God. They were listening to God. They were telling people about God. They were doing the right things, and they still suffered greatly. The words of most of those prophets were not listened to or heeded by the people until after they were dead. Now, some of them were listened to, but most of them, the people, they didn't like what they had to say. How frustrating would it be to know that you are speaking for God? God has spoken to you and you are speaking for God and nobody will listen to you. How frustrating that would be. But these prophets kept on sharing what God gave them for the people. 
Not only were they ostracized and ridiculed, many of the prophets were beaten, some even put in jail. But they kept doing and saying what God wanted them to, regardless of circumstances. They were trusting Jesus for the results, trusting God for the results, relying on him. They kept communicating with God, trusting him rather than looking at their circumstances. James also speaks of Job as an example of patience, patience in suffering. Many of you know the story of Job. If you have never read the book of Job in the Old Testament, I encourage you to read it. It's a great picture of how God can work in somebody's suffering. I'll just give you a little bit of the story. Job was the richest person in the region where he lived. Uh, He had thousands of sheep, camels, cattle, donkeys, thousands. He had ten children, many servants. He was a good man who loved God, prayed to him regularly. He, He was a man you would expect. This is not somebody who should be suffering. He should be experiencing blessing because he's following God. He's a good man. But in one day... All that he had was either destroyed or taken away from him, except for his wife. All the animals he had were killed or taken away. All ten children were killed in a storm. This is in one day. All his livelihood, all his kids, gone. And here's Job's response. Job 1, verse 21. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb. And I'll be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord is taking it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Now, I, I think I might have a hard time with that, giving that response if I lost all my kids in one day and lost everything I had. But he realized God's in charge. I belong to God. Everything I have belongs to God. He's in charge. And as Job was going through this ordeal... He continued to communicate with God. We see here, he he praised God. God, I praise you for being in charge, for being all I need. Now, if you read Job, you see that he, he also was very honest with God. He expressed some frustration to God, but he, he kept talking with God and he listened to God. And much of Job is the account of what God had to say to Job. And Job's trust in God was strengthened as he listened to what God had to say to him. And after that time of communicating with God, continuing to be in touch with God, Job was blessed again on this earth with ten more children and twice as many animals as he had before. He was already the richest guy in the region. Now he was blessed with twice as much as he had before. Job 42, verse 10 Kind of the wrap-up of the story says, When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. Being patient in difficult circumstances comes from trusting God for our joy, trusting God for our peace, not on what's around us. This past week, we had a disaster relief team 
that went to West Virginia to help with the flood victims there. And uh, they were working in, in several areas, working on several homes, and they worked on a particular house where the water uh, had had gotten so high that they had to remove all the interior walls so that the studs could dry and so they could be repaired and treated to keep from molding. Now they spent about five hours uh, cleaning out the walls, cleaning out the trash out of this house, exposing the studs. Uh, And this house had flooded before and as they got to the back of the house, they noticed that the framing had been damaged before and the framing uh, was rotten uh, because it hadn't been treated and repaired properly before. And so about the time they uh, noticed this uh, rotted framing, the county inspector and another man came to, to, to check out the house and so our team showed them the damage. And the inspector said that he was gonna have to condemn this house. Now you talk about circumstances that might bring some impatience, some frustration. We've been cleaning out this house. We've been working all day. We've got limited time. We could have been working on another house, and now you're telling us this house is going to be condemned. It's all for naught. Recipe for impatience, frustration. But this team was not in charge of the circumstances. They were just following instructions. So listen to what God did in the situation. There was another man there with a county inspector, and this was a man who uh, was with an agency that had committed to build 20 new homes for people in that area who were on fixed incomes. And this man told the the lady, the older lady who who was the owner of this house, he said, your house is going to be the first one we build. Now, that's a change of perspective. And if our team had not done the work to tear out the walls, then they never would have seen the damage. And likely the house would not have been condemned and likely the lady would not have received a new house. What at first appeared to be a waste of time and effort turned out to be a huge blessing. I cannot control the circumstances. So what do I do? Just keep communicating with God in the suffering. Trust Him for your peace and joy. Get close to the one who does control the circumstances. Ask Him what He wants you to do. God, what do you want us to do here? And then trust Jesus for the results. Patience increases when I release control of my schedule, when I release control of other people, when I release control of my circumstances. And I seek God and trust Jesus for the results. So, brothers and sisters, family, let's pursue relationship with Jesus. Let him change our perspective, and he'll increase our patience. If you want to talk with someone about how to pursue a relationship with Christ, we're going to have some care volunteers up here at the front and also in the care connection room out in the concourse. They'll be glad to talk with you or pray with you. Um, also, before I pray, I want to remind you, uh, we, uh, we have started a partnership with San Susi Baptist Church just north of downtown to help them serve their community, to help them be a church that uh, reflects their community, and, and they need some help with that. And so today, we have a team uh, 
led by Mike Heppler and Brantley Smith, that is doing a worship service with them to kind of show our unity and give them some encouragement. So uh, if you want to support that team or just see what's going on, they are doing that worship service at 1030. You still got some time to get there. In fact, if you want to go, it's just north of downtown, you can get up and leave before I pray and get out to the cars before, uh, before everybody gets out there. But uh, it'd be great if you, if you have a chance, even if you arrive late, if you have a chance to go up there and, and support them and show some love to that church. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for being the source of our joy, of everything we need. We thank you that we don't have to scramble and run and try to control everything because you're in charge. So Lord, I pray that you'll lead us all to seek you, to, to foster our relationship with you and trust the results to you. And Lord, we pray for the, the group that's having worship at San Susi today. We pray that you'll continue to bring unity, bring people in that community to know you. And Lord, we trust how you work in our lives today and this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for coming.